Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello friends and welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series and uh, we've been going through the little book called The Words of Jesus, a compilation of the red ink in the Bible, the uh, four Gospels uh, put together into story forms and uh, I hope you happen to be enjoying it. I know I am. Today's going to be kind of a tough subject uh, because um, we have been talking, we've been in chapter 15 and of course we're going to continue. Um, and this whole story comes from John 5. And um, this uh, Jesus healing this lame man, uh, we talked about how Jesus went up and assessed the situation, talked to the man, just looked at the, uh, you know, the, the, the timeline of this uh, malady that this, person, that, that this certain person had, and uh, it was dealing with it in a very personal way, even so much as uh, asking him how he felt about being healed. Um, it, uh, the, the conversation had moved into our attitudes about prayer. Jesus took his praying to the Father very, very seriously, as I think we should as well. I used the example last time that... Um, if you knew you only had 25 prayers left for the rest of your life, you would likely dole them out <laughs> with a little more uh, discretionary thought than we do now. Uh, the idea that prayer is cheap and easy is, um, and in many cases, an excuse for us and the people we pray for to continue to do whatever it is they want to do. Have you ever had anybody uh, say to you, well, I've prayed about it. Uh, and like, there's just nothing we can do. I've prayed about it. And uh, I, just, I just feel that it's, uh, well, it's just cheap and nasty. And it's just, it's just it, those, those kind of characteristics ought not be attached to prayer. Uh, prayer is an opportunity and a privilege that we've been given to uh, uh, actually let our request be made known unto God. It's really a, a wonderful thing. And if that is the case, and if we are indeed um, going to have an effectual prayer, that we're, well, you're just going to have to do it the way he says to do it. And uh, so, you know, there, there's some hard things said about this. And, um, but uh, I, hope, uh, I hope it all came home to you uh, and you've had some time to think about it now. And um, I just, I'd really love for your prayer life to become as precious to you as, uh, as anything in your spiritual life altogether. Now, after Jesus heals this man, uh, another chapter or another idea begins to unfold. Um, it says that uh, when this happened, the Jews saw it happen. <laughs> and uh, anytime they see something happen that they're not the center of, uh, they're going to start picking it apart. Well, one of their um, uh, most uh, common tools was their fascination with, their obsession with the Sabbath. You ever wonder how the Jews got to be so obsessed with the Sabbath day? Now, what you'll find is 
Um, as you know, at TRI Ministries, myself and, and those involved, uh, we take the Sabbath very seriously and keep it to the best of our ability. Um, and, um, and well, we just we keep the Sabbath. We think it's, we think it's important to do so. Um, when you keep the Sabbath the way the Scripture says to keep it, um, well, it's just simple and easy to do, and it's, and it's a God-honoring practice. If you keep the Sabbath the way, oh, I don't know, Seventh-day Adventists do it, uh, you know, I don't know, that's them. That's not, that's not me, but that's them. I don't, I don't see anything restful at all about having, a, essentially, a, a, a Sunday church service on Sabbath. I don't see that as resting at all. Um, if you look at it the way uh, many people who essentially don't keep the Sabbath do, uh, their excuse for that is, is I think we should worship God every day. Well, the Sabbath day is not, you know, has little to do with our worship of God. I, I agree. I think we should worship God every day. But that's not what the Sabbath commandment tells us to do. Um, and a lot of times when they say worship, you know, I don't know what they mean because um, the people who talk about you know, Sunday worship, Saturday worship, Sabbath worship, or whatever else... They're talking about the little dog and pony show that they do inside their church building and call that worship, worship services. Um, but, you know, you can find people out there that say, I think we should worship God every day. And I ask them, do you go to church every day? <laughs> well, of course they don't. It's just, uh, it's just an excuse to do what they've always done for their own reasons. And, um, and very little regard to what the Lord expects us to do uh, wants us to do, and is honored by what we do, uh, namely, keeping the Sabbath day. But how did the Jews get this thing going like they did uh, to where uh, Sabbath is indeed a, a worship service? They all go to synagogue. Uh, they, you know, they have their services or whatever they do on Sabbath day. When the, the scripture that talks about the Sabbath really doesn't mention those things at all. It just says uh, this has to do with uh, your vocation. You know, our, you know, you work. You work six days, and on the seventh, you don't. That's all it says? Well, it goes on to explain why, but it certainly doesn't say that you're supposed to all meet in the same place, and you're all supposed to do this, or sing this, or preach this, or pray this, or any of the rest of this stuff. No, we just added all that stuff. And uh, so we find that the Sabbath is very easy to keep. This is the day that I don't work. <laughs> it's really kind of simple. Well, when you find yourself in that situation, not working, you find yourself with a lot of time on your hands, and it's very uncomfortable, as a matter of fact. I don't know if, if you uh, keep the Sabbath, but uh, uh, if you decide to do it, uh, you're going to find it to be really sort of uncomfortable that there's a day in the week where you don't get to do whatever you want to do? Yeah, yeah, afraid so. And um, the, the, the time of fellowship and communication with God uh, grows into and upon that day till um, it, it does become a, a very comfortable thing to do. Uh, and then when you add to that the factor of obeying what the Lord told us to do, well, it becomes even sweeter. And all of a sudden you realize after you've kept the Sabbath about a month, my goodness, 
I haven't broken any of the commandments in 30 days. How in the world did that happen? Well, um, that's the way it happens. When you decide to quit going your way and start doing what he says to do, and what he's revealed to us in his scriptures, all of a sudden uh, you're thinking, well, this ain't so bad. (laughs) And um, anyway, how did the Jews get to the point where the Sabbath was such an obsession with them that they started making laws about it. You know, the scripture says, uh, thou shalt not kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. I happen to believe that uh, that's, you know, poetic language, uh, Jewish um, prose, if you will, that, that is, is telling us, don't begin anything on the Sabbath day. You know, that's not, that's not a time to begin anything. That's a time to rest. That was not the time I began to build the world. I began to build the world on first day. And uh, Saturday was the end of the week, and that's when I rested. That's what I want you to do. Um, But the Jews took, thou shalt not kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. And if you did, of course, you you were stricken for it. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the first man that was ever punished for not keeping the Sabbath day was picking up sticks. Yeah, ah, I don't know, why would he be picking up sticks if he wasn't going to build a fire? So, um, I mean, perhaps this was an outcrop of that, but as well-meaning uh, Jews who wanted to please God, um, uh, as, as this idea uh, became a part of their life, they uh, arbitrarily added to the scriptures by way of the Talmud, or whether we're talking about the Mishnah or any of the books of the Talmud where rabbis discuss these things, they decided that not only are we not going to start a fire on the Sabbath day, but we're not going to put one out either. Um, And I don't know how smart that is. I mean, if you're talking about a campfire maybe, but if your house is on fire, I would suggest you get yourself a hose and do something about it. Um, so they added to the scriptures um, what I call fences around the commandment. Now the reason that, it, that they, do, they, make, they make these laws even harder to keep by their traditions, Jesus says, you're making the commandments of God of no effect by your traditions. Now, we can't ignore when Jesus says something like this. He's obviously got something on his mind. And, uh, you know, why are you doing this? Well, there's, a, there's an honest reason for it. There's a well-meaning reason for this. Um, our Jewish friends were, were thrown into captivity, and the Lord made it very clear through his prophets, yeah, you got 70 years of captivity, and the reason you, you got 70 years of captivity is because you've been living 490 years without keeping the Sabbath. Well, if you take one out of seven um, of the 490 years, you're going to find that that's 70 years of Sabbath that wasn't kept. And, and the Lord was making it clear to them, I'm going to get my Sabbath days. You can either do it, you know, voluntarily, or you can do it lying on your back in a hospital, or, or whatever else it is that uh, you know is that you would determine as being uh, not free. Now, I happen to believe that uh, a lot of our financial difficulties 
that many Christians and many Americans have is, uh, is frankly because of, uh, because I happen to consider debt to be slavery, um, we are living in a, in, a, in a slave mentality and in a slave situation in our country. Many people are slaves to their debt. We even hear that term being slave to debt. Um, I happen to believe that a lot of this is the judgment of God on us. And uh, people who want me to pray for their finances or whatever else, I mean, that's my first question. Are you keeping the Sabbath? Are you keeping the commandments? Because um, there, there are benefits to obeying God. There are penalties for not obeying God. And I don't have any intention on praying against the will of God. Now, um, when the Jews realized that it was because of their violations of the Sabbath day, they became very Sabbath sensitive. And they wanted to make sure nobody violated this commandment because they didn't want to go back into captivity. Well, I don't blame them. Uh, I don't either. I've been there. It's not fun. So they built what I call fences around the commandment. If you keep our traditions, you don't have to worry about not keeping the commandment uh, because you're not even going to get close. And so they made these traditions, but in doing so, they made the law very difficult to keep. As a matter of fact, the number that gets floated around many of the Messianic circles and even in, in Jewish uh, frame of reference is 613 laws um, that um, were added to the 10. Well, I guess 603, legalistically or <laughs> mathematically, um, were added to the laws to keep people from violating them. Good intentions, perhaps. But why don't we just do what the Lord says to do? Uh, well, we do have a tendency to, uh, we hear what he says to do, and we excuse ourselves. We, we add uh, ideas to it that allow us to continue to do whatever it was we were doing for our own reasons. And we want to, we want to be today just like we were yesterday, if not just a little bit worse. Uh, but we want to continue today what we were doing yesterday and improve our lives today more so than yesterday. I know it's a ridiculous thought, but many people live right there. So the Jewish uh, ideas of laws and their traditions and rituals that had to do with the laws um, made these things very difficult to keep. Matter of fact, um, they take... Uh, you remember when, um, when the, the Lord first... Um, uh, introduced the Sabbath to the children of Israel, it was actually done before the law was given. Did you know that? Uh, the Sabbath was instituted before the Ten Commandments were. God used it as a, as a, as a marker, as, an, as, a, as a reason, as a proof to Moses that these people are rebellious and stiff-necked and they will not do what I say, even if what I say to do is nothing. <laughs> that's, that's amazing to think about. If the Lord uh, told us that he wanted us to dig a 50-foot ditch two feet deep on the Sabbath day, um, of course, there'd be a new denomination. Uh, but we would almost understand that. 
uh, you know, we would say, well, okay, yeah, all right, it's something that he wants us to do, but I'm not doing it. Well, you could pretty much say, well, you know, maybe you're not capable, maybe you don't want to, maybe you don't see any point in it or whatever else we make excuses for, but he's telling Moses, look, it doesn't even matter if I tell them to do nothing. They won't do nothing, and that's not a double negative. <laughs> they won't do nothing, I say. Uh, so, okay, that was a double negative. But uh, they won't even do nothing to prove that they love me. And uh, Moses had to concede, well, you're right. Because he told them, don't go out of your tents on the Sabbath day. In this idea of don't go out of your tents, when, when he said this, uh, and, and like I say, I don't know, Greek or Hebrew, but one of them says that you're not supposed to move. Well, you ever heard of a Sabbath day's journey? Matter of fact, the New Testament uses the term Sabbath day's journey, but the Old Testament where the law is given never mentions it. This was a tradition of the Jews. They decided how long a Sabbath day's journey was. It was approximately 3,000 feet. And... Um, they said that you can't move past your possession, your, your home, your house, or whatever, more than 3,000 feet on the Sabbath day. So, you know, my understanding is that the Jews of modern Israel have a, uh, a little red wire that goes on the power poles of the neighborhoods and stuff like that, and it's, and it's all claimed by everybody to be their possession. That way... They can get in their car and go down to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. They can visit with their friends or go to the whatever they need to do on the Sabbath day and never get within or outside of that 3,000 feet of their possession, which happens to be that red wire. <laughs> um, I understand that in the old days, a man used to travel out from his home and take a handkerchief or something that belonged to him and tie it in a tree somewhat short of 3,000 feet feet from his home. I think it's a thousand paces or something like that. And he would tie that in the tree and that allowed him to go 3,000 more and so on and so on and so on so that he could essentially violate, and this is the sad part, violate a commandment that God never said. He didn't say that. He didn't say anything about a Sabbath day's journey, but it was established so it was a part of Jewish culture, so it ended up in the New Testament, but there's no commandment about it at all. Here's Jesus' complaint. You violate the commandments of God by your tradition. Okay, a long history to explain why they were so intent on keeping the Sabbath, but the Sabbath came up right after this man was healed. Immediately, the man was healed when Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. Immediately the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked away. This miracle came to pass on the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, stopped the man who had been cured, saying, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Which, by the way, is one of the laws that they made up. He answered, the man answered, He that made me whole. He said to me, take up your bed and walk. And now it doesn't continue, but I can't help but add to that. Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't listen to the guy that, that removed 38 years of, of my paralytic condition. 
He told me to do this. Um, the Jews asked him, What man uh, is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? But he who had been healed did not know who his benefactor was because Jesus had left to avoid the crowd in that place. What crowd? <laughs> well, there was a crowd formed. This fellow had been crippled most of anybody's memory. And all of a sudden, he's walking around. Crowd started to form, and Jesus got out of there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you're made whole. I can't, I can't, I can't help it. I just, I just love this. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like Jesus is just, you know, healing him and walking away and just leaving him to himself. He's got to go back and see him. <laughs> and he sees him and he says, look at there. You're on your feet. That's great. He says, um, behold, thou art made whole. Hey, I need you to quit sinning. If you, if you continue to sin in this situation, you're going to find yourself in a worse situation. Does anybody talk like this? Have you ever heard of anybody that it was healed miraculously by God being counseled this way? Hey, friend, the Lord touched you. This is wonderful. This is mighty. This is, this is great. This is what you asked for. This is great. But listen, you're going to have to give your life over to God. You're going to have to go His way in, unless a worse thing come on you. And that's what He said. Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest, or unless, and if you don't, a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. That was the beginning of Jesus' sorrows, as we'll continue in uh, chapter 16 next time we're together. But um, I guess uh, this is such a lovely story because it shows that, uh, of course, Jesus knew this man was going to tell everybody. If he was looking for fame, there was no reason to go back. Um, if he was looking for the man's thankfulness, I'm sure he saw that on his face. You know, if, what was he looking for? What was he looking for? You'll find Jesus in this and another and perhaps more situations where he performs a wonderful miracle and then he goes back and looks for the person just to see them. I can't help but think that our Lord Jesus got a little kick out of this. I can't help but think that it was true love and compassion for people that motivated him. I can't help but believe it. You know what this tells me? He wanted this 38-year-old cripple 38 years old, crippled for 38 years. We don't know how old he was. He wanted this man to walk again. And the fact that he had to run because the crowd was getting thick, and, you know, Jesus was, uh, he had a plan. Uh, it wasn't that he was just looking for fame. He wasn't just trying to, he didn't go buy a football stadium and try to fill, it, fill the seats. That's not what he was after. What he was after 
was touching the lives of people. And when that became a problem, when that became difficult to do, one of the things that made that difficult to do was the crowds. You'll find that many times when Jesus would heal a man, he'd say, don't tell anybody what happened to you. And we talked about this. Uh, it, it, it happened in our, as we went through our book. He said, don't tell anybody what happened to you. But the Bible says that the man went home and blazed abroad the matter. Well, when he did, Jesus' plan for that whole town was thwarted by one big mouth that just had to tell people what Jesus meant to him or, you know, give his testimony or I, I, don't, I don't know what motivates people. I, I want to believe that it's good intentions, but, you know, why don't we just do what we're told? Jesus said, don't tell anybody, so what do I do? You don't tell anybody. That's what you do. And uh, had he not told anyone, then he would not have had the press. The Bible, the Bible uses the term press, and it's talking about the crowd pressing upon him and, and, and clogging things up and stopping him from doing what he needed to do. And um, so he, he knowing that if this guy goes and tells his story, he's going to have to deal with the crowd tomorrow. So what does it say he did? He went into another city. So a whole town suffered because one man had to tell everybody what Jesus was doing. I know you think that that's always the right thing to do, but it's not. Sometimes we are called of God to shut up. I think this is a, perhaps a commandment or a request of Jesus that's the most disobeyed there is in Christendom. We just have to tell Jesus, tell everybody about the parking place that Jesus gave us. Uh, we have to tell him that, you know, the, the girl at the checkout counter in, in McDonald's didn't charge her for one hamburger, and so I just said, thank you, Jesus even though the poor girl's probably going to have to pay for it out of her salary. Um, I think that we look at every, you know, my car ran out of gas, and I just rolled into the gas station. Thank you, Jesus. Well, if you want to do that, you know, you don't need my permission to do it. You're going to do it anyway. But I'm afraid that what we do is, is we make it harder for Jesus to minister. Because while he's pouring gas in your gas tank, there's some poor little gal down the road that's praying over a baby that she doesn't want to die. You're going to have a hard time explaining to her that Jesus didn't do whatever he did for her, but he made sure that you didn't have to walk in high heels. You know, hey, isn't the right thing to do in a lot of cases just to shut up? Oh, that's a horrible place to end the show, but our time is gone. And we'd like to hear from you. If you'd like to uh, write to me, you can just write to Don at thinkredink.com. Go to thinkredink.com and look around. See if there's anything that we can do for you. Write to us. Let us know what it is. And you can write to us at Think Red Ink Ministries, P.O. Box 718, Pytown, New Mexico, 87827. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. 
Email don at thinkredink.com. That's thinkredink.com. Join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.